Just lift your hands and thank Him. Great is your faithfulness, Jesus. Great is your faithfulness. You remain the same in my uncertain world, Jesus. Great is your faithfulness. So, Father, let our hearts just rest in the knowledge of your love. Father, cause us not to be anxious or stirred as the waves buffet, Lord, and the winds blow, and society and culture shifts and changes. You are the solid rock upon which we stand. And we lift our voice and thank you for your faithfulness, O oh God. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. I think you can do a little better than that, surely. Good evening. It's really good to see you. It's very good to see you. I was struck by a thought the other day that sometimes my relationship with Jesus gets a little bit decompartmentalized. Does yours? That I have these little moments or times or even seasons or occasions where I connect with Jesus. I would call such a thing a quiet time or a time alone with God. I don't know what my thinking is around that except that I have reduced the possibility of living in consistent union with the one who knows everything about everything and has offered me new life. To decompartmentalize my relationship with him, to assign a moment or even an hour or 10 minutes or even a meeting reduces my possibility of connecting with the one who is the sound of many rushing waters, the one who brings refreshing and life and joy and fullness to my soul. And then I venture into my day, having done my quiet time, thinking that an hour in his presence will make me robust for the journey that lies ahead, to discover by around about 11.30 when my stomach starts to wake up that life becomes a little challenging. Church, what if I was to say to you that God wants more than an appointment with you? He wants more than a moment or a half an hour or an hour of your day. What if I was to say to you that God would like to be involved in everything, every part of your life? He wants to invade just about every facet of who you are. And his invitation to us as Christians is not to have an occasional encounter with him, but to live with the abiding sense of his presence. Ephesians 6.18 tells us that we must pray without ceasing at all times. Have you ever tried to pray without ceasing? Don't you find that you cease more than you pray? Is there anybody else like me? I mean, I can start with the greatest intentions and 10 minutes in, I don't know what to say. What that really tells me is that my practicing of the presence of God is a little bit limited. It's a little bit restricted, a little bit retarded, if you like, because I haven't lived in consistent union with him. I feel I have said everything I need to say, and now it's over to you, God. I usually find at those moments there's this very dull silence in the atmosphere over my life. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18 says this, and this is our invitation. We're going to think about it together tonight. It says, Rejoice always. How are you doing with that? <laughs> Not just when the worship is good. Not just when our favorite song is played. Not just when life is going the way we hope it would. When all our dreams are coming to pass or all our ducks are in a row. Not just when we get the outcome of Brexit that we hope for. In fact, an outcome at all would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> Not just when we catch the bus or meet the train at the right point, we were invited to rejoice always, to live in a consistent atmosphere of celebration. Now, I've met some of you. You've met me. We're not doing so good with this. We tend to have circumstantial rejoicing. We have a breakthrough moment, and suddenly we're full of life and full of faith and full of joy and full of expectation. 
But it's easy to have that kind of celebration when the evidence of God with us and for us has come to pass. It's much harder to live with that kind of expectation when the circumstances of our lives seem somewhat different. Paul doesn't say rejoice sometimes. He doesn't say rejoice when it's going well. He doesn't say rejoice when people like you. I'm waiting for that day to come to pass. He doesn't say rejoice when it's all happening and flowing and flourishing. He says rejoice always. Seriously, Simon, you mean on a wet Monday morning in London, my invitation is to rejoice? You see, here's why rejoicing is good for me. It's my truest God-given identity. Our God is a happy God. Some of you didn't get that memo, did you? Our God is a happy God. He's not worried or anxious or concerned. In fact, when Jesus was announced to come to this world, of all the beautiful things they could have said about him, as they introduced him as the Messiah to humanity, they said this phrase, joy to the world. In fact, the word that's used there is joy and mega joy. <laughs> joy and mega joy to the world. The Lord has come. You see, if I understand that God and his countenance and his goodness and his joy and his fullness is available to me at any point in any day, in any circumstance, in any trial or triumph, then why would I not enter into the invitation to rejoice? In fact, it's good for me to rejoice. In fact, it's good for you that I rejoice. Otherwise, I end up miserable. And we all know that's not good for anybody. Do you know you can set the tone of your day with rejoicing? This is the day that the Lord has made. As I put my foot on the very wooden floor that's cold and bleak in my house. Because we're poor. I can determine the outcome of the reality of my day by posturing my heart in celebration. I don't need the circumstances of my life to dictate what's going on in me. I have the God who is greater in me than anything that's happening around me. One of the greatest gifts that the church can be to the world is to be joyous. How are we doing with that? When people think of us, they don't think of joy. It's not the first thing that comes to mind. You know what I'm saying? Because religion and joy, they seem to be opposed to each other. But Jesus, the joy of salvation in him, is such a strength, it's such a stronghold to us. And I tell you this, if you learn to rejoice always, there's very little that the enemy can do to you. Because the enemy cannot bear to be around people who celebrate the good news of Jesus. I want to add to that, that your rejoicing gives you breakthrough. As you rejoice in God, there's a power released from heaven that tears down things around you, that clears a way for God to move. Because God inhabits the complaints of his people. God inhabits the praises of his people. So when he turns up in my rejoicing, the kingdom comes. And when the kingdom comes, it's massive. It's full. It's powerful and it's impacting. Rejoicing is good for me. In fact, rejoicing is me coming into my truest identity. I was created to rejoice. I was fashioned in my mother's womb to know God and therefore to rejoice all the days of my life. Rejoicing changes the atmosphere around me. It invites the kingdom towards me and it releases the power of God on my behalf. Rejoicing is really good for me. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, I think he's talking to you. Rejoicing is really good for you. Now, don't get critical. Come on. Come back, Holy Spirit. Do you know, I've noticed over time walking with God, I've walked with him 33 years, that my natural dispensation is to be miserable. Do you know anybody like that? Come on, tell the truth. You're in church. 
I'm slightly melancholy, a little bit on the moody side. And that's before I get out of bed at all. But over time, as I've walked with Jesus, I've become a little bit like him. I find myself laughing at things. You know, sometimes people try to take me down. And when they do, I just rise up. Not in my arrogance. I tried that. That doesn't work. But in my joy. <laughs> do you know the joy really irritates the enemy? And I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you. Joy really irritates the enemy. He hates it when we are so confident in the nature and the person of God. So not only is it God's identity to be joyous and joy-filled, but our invitation is to live with that reality, to live with that consistency, to live with that power and authority over circumstances. I love the scripture in the Old Testament that says that God looks at the men and the women of this world who plot all their deeds, and he laughs. Do you know when joy begins to take its place in your life, there is no weapon that could be ever fashioned against you that could prosper. Because the joy of the Lord brings a strength. It's a stronghold that the enemy can't penetrate. And I believe that one of the sounds of the end time church that we'll hear is a joyous people, a celebrating people, a rejoicing people. Anybody up for that? Now, you've tried misery. How about trading up to rejoicing tonight? Who wants to trade up to rejoicing tonight? Come on. So if I want to walk in communion with God, who's a happy God, it invites me to joy, I need to stay rejoicing. I think it is in the book of Philippians, 43 times the Apostle Paul, tied like a dog to a stake in a Roman prison, says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And why does he repeat himself? Because we do not see the value of joy. We think joy is superficial or it's American. <laughs> you know, we might even think it's Irish because you know the Irish people are the happiest people on earth. <laughs> you all want to be Irish now, don't you? I can tell. Well, we don't have room for you. So we rejoice occasionally, and how good is that for you and me to come to church and to be led by our great worship team and to celebrate and to contemplate the greatness of our God. Something lifts in us. We come back into our rightful place with God. And you can come here miserable, and you can go out rejoicing, although some of you choose to go out miserable and you came in rejoicing, but that's a whole other subject. Some of us have degrees in miserality. We just think that being spiritual means we have to be miserable. Now, I defy you to find that in Jesus because children don't hang out with miserable people and they couldn't keep the kids away from Jesus. Such was the sense of joy and goodness and celebration. So I wonder if joy and rejoicing is something that we could adopt as a continual pursuit of our lives rejoicing in the good times and maybe in the bad times and you do know they're coming don't you how many of us know that good times come and good times go one of my favorite phrases in the Bible is this it came to pass <laughs> it came and it's gonna pass and I have to remind myself when I'm in the middle of a problem or, an, or a, a war or whatever it is it came to pass in other words this day however bleak it may feel However hard it may be, one day I'll look back and I'll rejoice. So why don't I start today in the middle of it, setting the tone of my heart towards the nature and the character of God and aligning myself with my truest reality. Because you see, here's why I rejoice. My sins have been forgiven. Three of us are excited about my sins being forgiven. My sins have been forgiven. I'm being changed by the goodness of God. I've got a lot to rejoice about. And God has placed me amongst people who love him. And I rejoice as you rejoice in him. I have a wonderful wife and a 
beautiful daughter. I am a blessed man. And so when the enemy comes in like a flood, and trust me, it does feel like that, and it looks like there's a lot of flood damage, I lift my countenance before the Lord. Here's what I need to do. Live consistently with my countenance lifted before the Lord. You know, this is the day the Lord has made. You won't get another one like this. It's not coming around again. You don't get a dress rehearsal today for tomorrow. This is the day the Lord has made. He gave it to you. It's a gift. It's a gift called charis. He has gifted you with this day. And here's how you extract out of this day. This is the day the Lord has made. Come on, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Because if it's from him, it's good for me. If it came from heaven to earth, then I can have heaven's reality in the midst of my circumstances. This is the day the Lord has made. So we need to grow in our rejoicing. If you were to set yourself a task for the weeks, the months that lie ahead, between now and Christmas, I mean, don't wait till Christmas Day. You can start rejoicing now. Okay, is that okay? Why don't you set that task? Lord, could I be more joyous by the 25th of December? Do you know, here's what I find with Christians. They get more miserable as we get to Christmas. The second thing that Paul invites us to is to pray continually. Well, I think I've been honest enough to say to you that I struggle a bit with that. I struggle because I don't really understand what prayer is. You see, I think prayer is me talking to God. It's me telling God all the things he needs to do. It's me reminding God of the things he promised me he would do. And the clock is ticking, Jesus. Could you please hurry up? But actually, prayer isn't that at all. Prayer is about fellowship. It's about being with God. It's about enjoying him. And allowing him to enjoy me. It's about abiding. It's about residing under the canopy of the love of God. As I take my joyous dispensation, which is growing, and I sit in his presence or walk with him through the course of my busy day, I can talk and commune and tabernacle with him consistently. God in my living God in my breathing, God in my sleeping, God in my waking, God in my doing and God in my sitting, God in my thinking and God in my dreaming, inviting him into every part of my life. Questions like this come to mind. What do you think about that, Jesus? You know, when something happens to me, I often have my thoughts come right to the fore because I, well, I've lived a little bit longer than you maybe. I'm 28 now and I've seen a little bit of life. My thoughts, I have a presumed script that comes to the fore. In fact, some would term it in counseling terms a bitter root expectation. In other words, I've been down this road before, I know how this works out. Anybody ever thought that? Have you ever been in a situation you think, I know where this is going? Come on, talk to me, please. Or I know where we're going to end up. Yes, ever been there? It's called a bitter root expectation. In other words, you've been on the treadmill of that kind of experience repeatedly and you think you know the outcome. This is where it's going to land. But not with God because he knows the end before the beginning. He sees it all. He's the alpha and he's the omega. He's the beginning and the end. Church, let me remind you, you need to include him in your internal dialogue. He may whisper a little secret that changes the outcome. You know, they say that madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Why don't we invite God into our internal dialogue? Here's a question I ask regularly throughout the course of my day. I go, really? If something happens to me, and God says, let me tell you something, a little secret about how this could turn out. You see, God wants to be part of every facet of my life. And so prayer isn't something I do, it's something I've become. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm in direct and consistent communion with God. He shares his secrets, I share mine, they're no secret to him, he knows everything about me. And he allows me to waffle on gloriously. But one word from his mouth can change the course of my life. He longs to show me 
a way in and a way out and a way through and a way forward in my heart and life. He's the God who knows everything about everything and I know this about nothing. I want to know how to lean into him and hear his heart. The wisdom personified in God. And yet here I am walking with common sense thinking I've got it all together. Why don't we ask him to connect with all of that internal dialogue? And why don't you turn that into a highway to heaven? Well, you're talking with God and he's talking to you. Unless we start to think of prayer in that manner, we'll think of it as something we do. We'll stop ourselves from fully embracing the reality that prayer really is something we've become. People connected to the source of life. People whose hearts come alive when we hear him speak. People who seek his wisdom on all matters pertaining to life. People who long to trust his truth better than our common sense. To trust him with all of our heart. There's a journey for the next few months. And not lean on our own understanding. Because our own understanding is limited. But his capacity to bring life has no bounds. It knows no end or beginning. He is simply the most excellent, intelligent individual you will ever commune with. So get over yourself and move in to that glorious invitation of being connected to him. The God who speaks life, who is life, who opens up life, who causes a breakthrough to come in our circumstances. We can live in consistent union and communion with him. And you know, church, I want to just suggest to you that that is really what Christianity should look like. You know, it isn't, we'll visit you here, God, and we'll talk to you there, God. You know, I find that in the places that I think I'm going to connect with God, I don't connect with God. But in the ordinary way I live my life, my ordinary everyday getting up and go to work kind of life, I find that God just begins to whisper the secrets of his heart. And you know, I believe that the whispers I heard 32 years ago have led me to this church. The word that God speaks to us, however short or small or seemingly less than perhaps, you know, fantastic at the time, always leads us to life. When God speaks, the invitation is to draw nearer to him, to have greater revelation of his heart and his nature, and to step towards the future that he has prepared for us. He has plans to prosper and to bless you, you know, and you're not going to get there by common sense. And you won't get there by thinking you understand how it works. You need his voice. He's your heavenly sat navigation system. He already stands in your future, and if anyone can take you there, it's him. He will whisper something, and you'll find yourself over here when you wanted to go there. We have so much to learn about abiding in his presence, about residing in relationship with him. And I love that Paul writes to the church at, at Thessalonia and says, pray continually. So how do I do that? I do that by talking to God. You know, I, I'm running a course on a, on a Tuesday night here called, what's it called? Soul Talk. I forgot. It's been a long, a long week, Soul Talk. And you know, what we're trying to understand is what's going on in other people, what's going on in us, what's happening around us. But you know, I feel in many ways that God has been educating me with that stuff for years. Because when I speak with people or counsel people or interact with people, I have this second conversation that's going on underneath the surface. I'm saying, God, what would you like to say to them? Father, what do you want to say to us as we meet together? What's your heart for this person? What's the dream that you carry in your life, Lord Jesus, for this person's life? Father, reveal to me the secrets of your heart so that they can know the purposes that you have for their life. You see, we can live like that. And it's not just a prophetic gift. It's an invitation to the body of Christ. We can all live with consistent union, loving on him and letting him love us back. So rejoicing. How are we doing on that on a scale of 1 to 10? 3? Anybody a 4? Any advance on 4? Come on, talk to me, please. Any advance on 4? There's so much more I want to know about that. So much more I need the Spirit to help me with. And so much more I know that Christ wants to give me as I learn to rejoice in Him consistently, always. To always be the rejoicer in every conversation, in every circumstance, would be my greatest treasure and joy, actually. 
and to pray and to be intimate and connected and, and flourishing in my intimacy and relationship with God is absolutely a breathtaking invitation. I want to move from visitation to habitation. I want to move into that place where I sense his abiding goodness in my life. Anybody up for that? And what about giving thanks in all circumstances? How's that going for you? You see, I think if we don't rejoice always and we don't pray continually and connect with God, it'll be very difficult for us to give thanks in all circumstances. You know, I, I see Christians sometimes and they thank God through gritted teeth. Thank you, Jesus. Have you ever noticed? You can tell it in their prayers. <laughs> They're praying to God and that, you know, they're hoping we don't notice, and sometimes we're so caught up with our own lives, we don't notice, but they're almost like willing thankfulness to come. Thank you, Jesus. It's neither genuine or sincere or alive or vital in their souls, but they think just by saying thank you. Now, in my house, there's two ways to say thank you. When somebody does something wonderful for you, you say thank you. You know, that was a beautiful dinner. Thank you, Jane. If she cooks sausages, which I don't eat, I say, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Just because the words are coming out of my mouth doesn't mean my heart is thankful. Hello? Don't you find sometimes you're like that with God? You know, we love this scripture, don't we? All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> don't you just do that with God? Come on, talk to me. Don't you just do that with God? You, you know you have to be grateful, but you're not really. <laughs> it's not the dinner you wanted, is it? <laughs> it's not the thing you like the most. Do you think God doesn't see through that? Hello? Do you think he doesn't see what's going on in your heart? You know, you've been praying for her, and you got her, and you go, thank you, Jesus. I'm so happy. Thank you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Hallelujah. God is looking and he's thinking, that really, that's not necessary. <laughs> you went for that job interview and you didn't happen and you go, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so grateful to you that you didn't give me that six-figure salary. I'm really, thank you, Jesus. And God looks at that and he thinks, I'm not sure you're saying what you mean, <laughs> and you're really not meaning what you say. Just because we say the words doesn't mean we're thankful. Do you hear me, church? You know, it's important that we're sincere in what we do and how we interact with God. <laughs> because God doesn't not look at the gritted teeth, He looks at the heart. Does not, he's not distracted by your external piety or religiosity. He can see the truth of your reality. And it's very difficult for him to meet us in our thank yous whenever we are faking it, hoping one day we'll make it. I don't think you can truly be thankful in all circumstances until you've learned to abide continually with the reality of his nature and his character. And I don't think you will learn to abide continually until you make a concerted effort to rejoice consistently. If God's atmosphere is one of joy, then that's my entry point into connection with him, to come into his courts with thanksgiving in my heart, to enter into his presence with praise. And out of that overflows this glorious dialogue. I never run dry talking to him because there's so much about his goodness that just besots me. And I'm consistently in this communion of his kind and most glorious invitation. And then my thankfulness is this. I love this. Christians, they do this all the time. You say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be his name. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name. You see, in our minds, we think he should just keep giving. 
What we're saying is, God, I know better than you. I know what I need more than you know that I need. If God is good when something doesn't come my way that I thought should come my way, God is still good. He has not changed one iota. He is consistently good. And because he's good, he didn't let me have that. Therefore, I lift my voice and I say, thank you, Jesus. You are so much wiser than I am. Thank you, Jesus. You have an eternal plan for me. I'm living in the here and now, and I want what I want here, and I like it now. I don't need to do, thank you, Jesus. I can live consistently with an awareness of his wisdom, his authority, his plan, which is good for me to prosper and to bless me. Now, let me just land this a little bit. If that's okay, because you know we're flying around at 30,000 feet at the moment. Did you feel that? Did anybody feel any turbulence? Did you feel any turbulence? We're landing, we're landing in a minute, so if you could just, bing bong, if you could just fasten your seatbelts, please, the lights, come on. Okay, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Look at the attachment to this. It says, for this is God's will for you. You see, people come to me all the time and they say, could you prophesy over me? I just want to know the will of God. <laughs> they come and say, you know, I'm looking for someone to share my life with. Could you just point who he is or she is out for me? You know, because they think that I've got this. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. It doesn't worry if he's ugly. Be thankful to the Lord, for the Lord is good. And what we're trying to do is get God to tell us what to do. Okay, like he doesn't want to involve us in the conversation. I think sometimes Christians are voice-activated disciples. And we think that's okay. Do you know that God wants relationship with you? So he'll tell you what he thinks, and he asks you, what do you think? Do you know that you're a friend of God? Friends don't tell their friends what to do. They listen. They try and understand. They offer a perspective, and together they reason about the way forward. See, people come all the time. They say, I wish God would just tell me what to do. Well, he tried that, and he never did it. <laughs> He's hoping for dialogue, interaction, relationship. Do you remember that? Relationship. He wants you to share what you think and feel and desire and hope. And he's going to share with you what he thinks and feels and desires and hopes for you. And then he'll leave the choices to you. Because he's not controlling and manipulative. And he trusts you to make good decisions. He has a greater belief in you, perhaps, than you have in him. So when we're thinking of the will of God related to a circumstance or a situation in our lives, it's often telling how we come to those moments, particularly if we haven't rejoiced always, haven't abided continually, haven't given thanks in all circumstances, we're waiting for a word. Father, give me a word. Do you know, every single word that comes from the mouth of God comes out of relationship. It does not come out of the heavens and land on your lap. He speaks into who you are. He speaks into who you've become with him. He speaks into the consistent abiding sense of his presence in your life. He speaks with joy and delight for all that's coming your way. He speaks with a consistent whisper of abiding, glorious comfort that leads you on your way. And he speaks into your atmosphere of gratefulness that whatever he shares with you, you're just grateful he's involved and his wisdom is everything to you. But you know, in all of that, you might just do what you want to do. Hello? 
We've done all of that sometimes, and we still do what we want to do because God does not want voice-activated disciples. Jesus wants friends. He wants worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. He wants relationship. He wants mutuality. He wants connectivity. He wants a sense of coherent togetherness in the choices and the decisions that are coming your way. And trust me, that's a far better way to live your life than waiting from a word from heaven. You see, I've been around prophetic ministry for a long time and people will come forward if I'm ever praying for people and they want a word. What's the will of God in my life? Well, here it is. Rejoice always. No, no, no. What's the word of God for my life? Here it is. Just rejoice always. He's so good, you know. No, 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 pastor. I don't think you get this. <laughs> What's the word of God for me in my circumstance? Rejoice always. <laughs> I'm like running out of options here. <laughs> Pray consistently. Stay close. Stay near. Keep that relationship alive. Think about him. Talk to him. Engage with him. Allow him to speak with you throughout the course of your ordinary life. Because God whispers extraordinary things in very ordinary moments. I wouldn't want to miss a single thing he had to say. And be genuinely grateful. Is there anybody genuinely grateful that they're saved tonight? No, I'm not talking about 40 years ago you had a moment. I mean, how real is that thankfulness today? It's important to stay thankful for your salvation. You know that, don't you, church? How many of us are grateful to the fact that God is working in your heart and working in your life? Do you know he hasn't finished? Even the most gloriously spiritual amongst us, there is still a work to do. Are you thankful about that, that he who began that good work has turned up again today? And whether you realize it or not, he's fashioning Jesus in you. How gloriously and most incredibly should we be thankful about that? And God's will for you flows out of those three realities. You start to hear his voice and know his heart and understand his plan. And your soul is awakened to the truth of who he is and who you are in relationship to him. And you start to understand that you don't need a word from heaven because you have the word of heaven living and abiding in your reality. This is a glorious invitation to us for communion with God. And I don't know about you, but as we step towards the future we're dreaming of and hoping for, these seem to me to be the invitations on offer to us tonight. Will you allow the Holy Spirit, the God of joy and celebration, to change your countenance from misery to majesty? Who would like that? Stand to your feet for me, please. Who would love to have their whole life opened up to consistent and persistent dialogue with the sound of many rushing waters, the voice of the Lord that brings refreshing and healing and restoration to our lives. Is there anybody wanting to learn from the power and the availability of the Holy Spirit tonight to live continually in that wonderful place of prayer and intimacy, tabernacling with Him? enjoying his wisdom, sharing yours, which won't take long, by the way, and just being friends with God, just being family, just being a son or a daughter in the presence of a glorious father, just being a brother like Jesus is to us. How glorious that invitation is. And giving thanks, not through gritted teeth, but through hearts that have been awakened and truly know that God is good. If heaven had a vocabulary, if there was a language that was spoken there, it would be thankfulness. It would be gratefulness. Shall we learn a new language? Because I know some of us were great at complaining. And his will, his beautiful, glorious, and perfect will for your life. 
I'll say this to you. You may not get the job you want. Why? Because he's good. And that job will take you from him. It may not lead you to him. You may not get the life you choose. That's okay. Because God has a better plan. You know, here's the irony. I thought I'd be famous. I was convinced I am. No, that's infamous. Infamous I am. Famous I'm not. <laughs> okay. I, th I thought, I genuinely thought I had all that it took to be famous. I was drop dead gorgeous. <laughs> Give thanks to the Lord. Do you know when I look back, I am so grateful he didn't let that happen. I am so grateful. Most of the time. <laughs> it's the odd day when I'm a little bit... Mm. God is so good, you know. He's good enough to stop something that could steal everything from you. He's good enough to resist the cry of your heart for an emergency. And say, no, no, we're going to think a little long term about this reality. I can see the end before the beginning. And you're asking all the wrong questions. So just lift your hands in his presence. Our glorious God. Our perfect savior. Our most majestic, wise. And unfathomable. Gloriously powerful God. We invite you to come right now to this place. To our hearts and to our lives. And teach us, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're with us to help us with this stuff. Lord, I ask for an upgrade of rejoicing. I pray that we would predetermine the outcome of every decision by celebration, exaltation, so that you can bring a manifestation of your glory, Father. Right now, in Jesus' name, God. Let rejoicing begin in your heart right now. I just decree that over you. Let the rejoicing that comes from a soul that's been awakened to Jesus start to flourish in you, start to awaken in you. Not just in church, but tomorrow morning and tonight later on the tube or when you get that phone call or face that situation. Let rejoicing be your first response. May that be the first thing that you offer God. For you're saying by that kind of inclination, I know that my Redeemer lives, and I know that my God is good, and I know that my whole life is in the palm of His hands, and I know that all my days are written in your book, O oh God, and I know that your grace is sufficient. I know that your kindness will overwhelm me. I know that your love always wins. Rejoice always. Just lift your hands again. Lift them right up. Father, let your church awaken to the power of rejoicing. Father, build in us this glorious intimacy with you where we share every part of our life, not just Sunday, not Monday, not even just a quiet time, but all our time. Ephesians 6.18, without ceasing, Lord, consistently interacting with you, the God who tabernacles with us. Spread out your wings over our life tonight, God, and cover us with the power of your intimacy and your glorious intentionality towards us. Win our hearts, God. Steal our hearts, God. You're jealous for our hearts. Every part of our life we offer to you right now, God. Our breathing, our sleeping, our living, our walking, our working, our family, our joy and our disappointments. Come, be with us, God, in it all and through it all. And now why don't you just thank Him? Can you just find one thing to thank him for tonight? If it's your salvation, just say, thank you, Jesus. I haven't thanked you for a while for that. If it's your healing, thank him tonight. Just thank him tonight. Thank you, Jesus. You are my healer. If it's the restoration of your soul, just thank him for that tonight. Come on, let's fill this atmosphere with the language of heaven. Just thank you tonight, Jesus. Thank you so much for loving me. Thank you so much 
for touching me. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you so much for the blessedness of relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. you have for us they're more than things or places more than jobs or circumstances your plan what's in your heart for us is greater than just the incidentals of life your plan is that which has eternal value and significance and if I get everything I want this side of heaven, but lose heaven, I know for a fact you're not going to give me everything I want. For you've asked me to store up treasure in heaven, Lord. What is that treasure? Intimacy, connectivity, joy, faith, goodness, peace. You see, your real will for me is whether I have much or I have little. I will always have you. Whether I'm loved or I'm hated by this world, I need to know I'm adopted by you, Father. Whether it's going well or it's all falling apart, you're with me. You're for me. You love me. You care about me. And you desire to connect with me, Lord. The Apostle Paul uses these phrases, I have learned to be content. You see, I'm by natural separation from my God for most of my life, very discontent. But I have learned to be content in all things. And what brought that sense of contentment was that connection, the reality that God lived with him and he lived for him. And somehow that was worth so much more than any circumstantial secondary thing because the first thing was to know God. This is his will for you in every circumstance, in every situation. So Father, I just pray over this moment because we can talk a lot about knowing you. We can sing our songs and we can even prophesy some things that we sense your spirit leading us to. But the greatest gift to all of us is that you're here and you're with us. I'd rather have that reality than all the treasure of the world, Father, all the acclaim of man. So God, come abide in me. So here I am, I'm waiting. Abide in me, I pray. So here I am, I'm longing to know your presence, Lord, every day. To live with you eternally. For my heart to awaken in your glory To hear the whispers of your heart for me Make this my reality Please God, make this my reality Father, I ask in your Son's name, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came to make a way where there was no way before, a living way, a hope-filled way, a joyous, rejoicing way, an intimate way, Lord, a way paved with great testimonies of the goodness of God, where thankfulness ruled and reigned, not just on our lips, but in our hearts. I ask you, Lord, that your kingdom would come, 
that your will would be done. And why don't we just conclude our time and if you need prayer, please come forward. Our ministry team will make themselves available to you. But I'd like us to pray this together if we could as we draw our thoughts and our attention to these final and closing moments of what I have to say to you. Say this with me, would you please? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth in me as you desire it in the heavenlies. Give me this day my daily bread. I want to feast on your goodness. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. And because you satisfy me, God, with the choices to fare, that causes me to resist temptation. Help me to forgive those who have wronged me and help me to be one, Lord God, that lives under your forgiveness. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Bless you. Just please come forward. We're going to open the ministry for you here at the front. We'd just love to pray with you. Who has sickness in their body tonight? Who's, who needs God to do something miraculous physically for them? Please come forward. Who feels a little bit distant from Him? If your heart has grown a little bit distant from Him, this is the moment to come home and just to say, God, rekindle the fire inside of me that once burned brightly. And if you're a little lost and you don't know Jesus tonight, then please come forward and talk to one of our ministry team because I believe with all my heart the entry point to living with this kind of glorious affection is through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You know you can't change yourself, but the God who created you knows exactly what to do to make all things new. So please don't go home with all of that stuff going on in your heart. Let God deal with the things that have separated you from Him, your sin, your anger, your resentment, your unforgiveness, and let him invite you deep into the places of his heart where you can know him and be loved by him and changed and transformed by his goodness. Come forward if you need prayer for anything tonight. And thank you again for your time. God bless you, church.